Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Welcome to church, everybody. We're doing okay today? Man, I mean, I heard, I heard nothing. Not a peep. I, I could have heard, this is inappropriate, Scott. I could have heard a mouse pee on a cotton ball right then in that moment. <laughs> Welcome to church. Oakwood, we're grateful that you're here with us. Kathy Head, we're grateful you're here with us too, my friend, coming in here. You are such a rock and such a pillar. We're grateful for all you do for this body. Can we give it up for Kathy Head? I know she hates this. We stand on your shoulders, my friend. Thank you for being here. Scott, you're great too, but you know, you're, you were less important in that moment right there for me. Oakwood, did I say hello? Did I say that we're grateful that you're here with us too? I can't wait to see you real soon. I'm not going to give away the date, but I'm coming. We're going to give Gainesville a taste of uh, what it's like to, to see the preacher on the screen. So, and I'll be there soon, soon enough, soon as Coach Chris Guthrie lets me do it. Okay. All right. It's going to be a great day. We're excited. Uh, back to school, right? Are we back to school? Anybody back to school? Raise your hand. A couple of us. Parents? Parents are the most excited? No? teachers. I know we have so many educators. We have administrators. We got superintendents of school boards in this body. It's pretty amazing the influence that's in this room. I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing this message and thinking about the influence that's going to be propelled out of this room into what I think is one of the most amazing mission fields in the world, right under our feet, the school systems. The opportunity that's before you, students, teachers, faculty, coaches. I know for some teachers and coaches, it's a little more challenging and there's limitations. And I just want to speak to you for a moment, whoever you are in the room. I want to remind you of the opportunity that you have. I could name, I could list so many names of teachers and coaches that impacted my life because of the way that they loved Jesus right in front of me. You have an opportunity every day to walk in those doors into a place where most of us can't go and be the light, be the hope that these students need. Students, you have an opportunity to rub shoulders with other students that come from all kinds of different backgrounds that most likely have a different, some of them have a different faith than you. Parents, you're not off the hook either because we've got events coming and sporting events and all kinds of gatherings that come with school and parents that are going to be there that you can have relationships with. Think about the opportunities that are in front of us to live out what we profess, what we say we believe. It's exciting. Later, at the end of our time, we're going to have some time to pray over our teachers and um, it's going to be a powerful time. I hope you don't run out and have to use the bathroom and miss that. You know, it really depends on if I can keep it to my clock. You know what I'm saying? So I'll, I'll do my, my very best. With that in mind and the influence that we have and the opportunity that we have in front of us, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 10 where we're going to find and we're going to look at two obstacles that we face when sharing our faith. I think it's a timely message for what we're headed into in this new school year. We're going to look at two men in this story. We're going to find a Roman 
soldier named Cornelius, and we're going to find the apostle Peter, who you know very well, Simon Peter. And I want to kind of set the stage and unpack who, who these men were before we get into the text together. Cornelius was an officer, as I mentioned, in the Roman army, and he was a part of the Italian cohorts that were known as the most loyal to the Romans. This is important because a, a patriotic Jew, a, an Orthodox Jew, someone like Peter would naturally look at someone like Cornelius and dislike them or even hate them. So God is about to bring these two men together that at best don't like each other and don't associate with one another. They don't know each other yet, but they know that they don't like the other's kind, especially when it comes to the Jews looking at the Gentiles. And Cornelius was certainly one of these. He hadn't heard the good news yet about Jesus. He, the Bible says he was a God-fearing man, that he prayed and, and did alms, and he did a lot of good things, but he wasn't yet a Christian. And then we pick it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 3. It says this, about the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius, he, he spoke to him by name. And if I had more time, I would talk about how Cornelius wasn't a Christian yet, but God sent a messenger and the first word out of the messenger's mouth from God was Cornelius's name because he always leads with a personal touch of love. It's beautiful. Verse four, Cornelius stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now... Send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. I love, these are the moments where I'm like, God, could you not have put Simon Peter in a different guy's house that wasn't named Simon? Or are you just really trying to make sure that they get it exactly right and don't miss? But anyway, I mean, imagine if he would have brought the other Simon with him and just accidentally messed up there. No, okay. Verse... We're going to go to verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up the, to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Okay, Cornelius is at his house. He's visited by an angel. God sends a messenger to him and says, I need you to send people to go get Peter and bring Peter back to you so that you can talk to Peter. That's odd enough. Now we fast forward to Peter on the rooftop praying. And while he was praying, he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descended, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds. And there came a voice to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And watch Peter's response, by no means, Lord. So here we have Peter the, upon this rock, I will build my church, Peter. The guy that Jesus said was going to be the rock. And his first words when he gets this vision out of his mouth, and he knows it's the Lord because he calls him Lord, and he says, by no means, 
Lord, this is fascinating to me that there could ever be a sentence that was, or- that was orchestrated, no and Lord in the same sentence. Like I'm recognizing your authority, your sovereignty, and my submission to that because I'm calling you Lord. However, no, by no means, Lord. So we have Peter over here telling God no, which is kind of a habit for him, but that's another story. And then we have Cornelius over here. What is it, Lord? Speak to me, Lord. Fascinating when you look at the different responses. Let's keep going. He said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. In other words, I've never eaten certain animals that according to the Levitical law are unclean. And if I were to eat them, I would be made unclean. According to the Levitical law that I've been living by my whole life, which by the way, you wrote, God, if you don't remember. So by no means will I do that because I see in this vision that there are animals that I'm not supposed to eat that we call common or unclean and look at what God said the voice came to him again a second time what God has made clean do not call common what God has made clean do not call impure what God has made clean do not call unacceptable what God has made clean we're going to come back to that and spend a lot of time there this happened three times for emphasis and the thing was taken up at once to heaven Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. He's on the roof and he's getting this vision and the men that God sent are just right down there at the gate ready to talk to him. And they called out and they asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, those three men, they're looking for you. So rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. I find it fascinating here that he gave no detail of who these men were. He gave him no explanation of why. Rise, go down, accompany them without hesitation. Why? Because I have sent them. When Cornelius' men got there, Peter was no doubt shocked because he knew that they weren't Jews when he opened the door. Of course, he could tell who they were and, and where they were from. And he would have immediately wondered, why, does, why is God sending them here? What, what is this about? The, the idea that God could even send Gentiles, could even speak to Gentiles would have blown his mind surely these aren't the people that you were talking about God they can't hear you they're not your people they're common they're unclean we don't associate with them God was expanding Peter's mind and his heart because what God has made clean don't call common Peter in this moment was beginning to realize that this vision was about more than food so he invited them in and the Bible says that he lodged them with him 
He lodged them. He treated them as guests, which is unbelievable. Normally, a Jew would have, at best, opened the door, talked to the Gentiles, and then sent them on their way. And even if the Gentiles would have said, I need somewhere to stay tonight, the Jews would have said, well, it's too bad. You can't stay here. Nice to meet you. Stay out on the street. Peter doesn't do that. He invites them in. No Orthodox Jew would have invited a Gentile into his house. No chance. No chance of even having fellowship with them inside. No chance, certainly no chance of sitting down at a table together and eating. It was forbidden according to their tradition. But God is expanding Peter's mind and heart. He's opening up his heart. Don't call common what I have made clean. So here we have Cornelius and Peter, two men, very different from very different backgrounds, not associated, 30 miles apart geographically, a million miles apart relationally. Okay, we got the picture. And then Peter, the next day, gets up and goes with the men to see Cornelius. This was a major step of obedience to walk 30 miles. And I know some of us drove 30 miles today and still made it in time for worship. So that's not a thing for some of us. It's like 30 miles is no big deal. But if you're walking and you're walking in sandals, you know, not a lot of support. These aren't on clouds. All right, okay. 30 miles. He's walking to go see a guy who he would have never associated with before. And then when he got there, scripture says in verse 25 of, of chapter 10 that he entered in, that he went in the house. And these are the kind of verses that we read and say, yes, yeah, so what? But in reality, that never would have happened. No Orthodox Jew would have entered into a Gentile home. This was another level from him. And it's one thing to invite the Gentile into your home. It's a whole nother thing to go into his home. To be seen even walking through that door proved Peter's heart was beginning to change. Their customs and their traditions strictly prohibited him from doing it, and he did it anyway. You see, the subject of this chapter is not so much the conversion of Cornelius, which we're going to see next week. The subject of this chapter is more the transformation in the heart of Peter. Because the Spirit had spoken, and he said, what God has made clean, do not call common. In the Old Testament, there was holy and there was common. And the holy, the, the things that were holy and clean were made common when they came in contact with something else that was common. The only way it could be made holy again is if it went through a ritual cleansing process. And we don't have time to go through all of that, but it's important for us to know that this, this, it was this way for a very long time. And, and the Holy Spirit of God is asking Peter to do something that went against everything that he knew. When something was made holy, it was called consecration. And when something was made common, it was called desecration. And Peter knew this very well. And he knew that going to associate and eat with another Gentile who was called common would have 
been a desecration for him. But God had spoken. What God has made clean, do not call common. Just so we're on the same page and have a proper perspective, unless you are from Jewish descent, most of us in this room are probably, our ancestry is traced to Gentile descent. So we quite literally would not be able to be here as a redeemed people if it weren't for chapters like this in the Bible where God turned his people around to go and minister and share the good news of his son Jesus with those of our ancestry. We're going to look at two obstacles today, like I mentioned before, that we find here in this narrative, we find these two obstacles, and I believe we're still dealing with them today when it comes to sharing the good news about Jesus. Obstacle number one, disqualifying others from hearing the good news based on who they are or based on what they've done. We limit who we're willing to share Jesus with. We limit who we're willing to share our lives with. We limit who we're willing to associate with because we've disqualified them much like Peter and the Jews were disqualifying Gentiles. If it weren't for this vision, Peter would have never stepped foot in that home. You have, to, you have to understand the ethnic division, the racial tension was so significant. It never would have happened. The tradition would not allow it. It was prohibited. And we certainly deal with these similar divisions and tensions today. And I believe it's still an obstacle where we're disqualifying others from hearing the good news because we're not willing to associate with them. Look at Romans 1. This is from Paul's heart about the same subject. Romans 1.14 says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to wise and the foolish. That, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. This is huge. The, that that God has called him to go into the people that nobody else is going to, to share about Jesus. He says in verse 16, which we know very well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God that brings salvation to who? Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Not just the Jews, not just the people of God, because we know that God designed it and he orchestrated it this way for his people to be the Jews, for, for his people to, to begin this movement. But now, because of Jesus, his people aren't just of bloodline. There's a new bloodline that's been established by the blood of our Savior, and he has fulfilled the law. He has abolished the walls of hostility that keep us away from associating with one another so that his good news could be spread to the ends of the earth. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew, yep, then to the Gentile. Now is the day, now is the time to spread this good news. No one is disqualified from hearing the good news. 
what God has made clean, don't call common. Peter's beginning to realize this is about much more than food. It's ultimately about people and souls. As we sink deeply into this, I just want to remind us all, like the gospel is good news. That's literally what it means. And we throw these words around a lot, and I already have, and I, maybe you're like, well, I need you to explain what it is. Let me give it to you just really quickly here. The good news about Jesus is that we were deserving of wrath because of our sin, but Jesus came and died and took on that wrath in our place so that all who trust in his name will be forgiven of sins and, and that he would absorb the wrath that we deserved. That's what it means that everyone who believes will, will be saved, will be saved from this wrath that was due because the wages of sin was death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. But can I tell you, this is only good news for the needy. This is only good news for the sinner. And the sinner that understands their need. When the Pharisees asked Jesus why he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, they, the, those that were hated, those that, were, that we would not associate with, the, the Pharisees said, why are you doing that? Why are you in there with them? This is against tradition. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need the doctor, it's the sick. I, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to Repentance. So the gospel is good news for the needy, for the sinner that understands his need or her need of a savior. Jesus came to save sinners and that's good news for the needy. Think about it this way. It's good news. God, the gospel is good news for the thief. The gospel is good news for the Buddhist, for the Muslim. The gospel is good news for the compulsive liar that you can't stand at work in the cubicle next to you. The gospel is good news for that gang member at your school. The gospel is good news for the adulterer. The gospel is good news for the addict. The gospel is good news even for the man that's on death row that's marching his way to the end. Should I remind you of the man that was hanging next to Jesus on the cross and in the final moments, Jesus forgave him and gave him access into heaven it was good news for him there. The faith that he placed in Jesus is what saved him. But I wonder if we limit when and where and with whom we share the good news. I wonder if we disqualify people. I wonder if we live as though we believe that everyone who believes truly can be saved. If God called you today to go share with someone, maybe someone that personally you despise, what would you do? What would you do? 
what boundaries have we put up and that are keeping us from certain types of people? Who are you unwilling to share the good news with? In 1998, there was a 15-year-old in Chicago that got shot on a basketball court, an outdoor park. He was playing with his friends and a disagreement happened. Shot twice in the abdomen. One of the bullets perforated his aorta. And his two friends were with him and they picked him up and they're trying to take him to the hospital, which gratefully was nearby. And they're trying to get him there and they're struggling and they they finally get him right up to the door. and, And one of the friend says, hey, run in there and tell him that, we've, that we're here and he needs help. And so the, the, the friend goes inside and he's in the ER and he says, I need some help out here. I need some help out here. And nobody's helping him. And he goes to the desk and says, I need somebody to come help. My, my friend has been shot. And the hospital staff told him it's against our policy to go outside and help anyone. He has to be brought in for us to treat him. So he runs outside and when he gets outside, there's a policeman right there with, with him. And he's, sorry, the policeman's trying to help him. Policeman runs back inside and says, we need somebody to come out here and get the, get the boy. We need somebody, somebody, he's dying. We need somebody to come. And the, the hospital staff again says, we cannot help him out there. The policeman says, well, do you have a gurney? Do you have a stretcher? Do you have anything that I can use? They said, no, sir, they're all gone. I don't have anything. And so the policeman's looking all over the place and he finally finds a wheelchair, gets the wheelchair, takes it out, puts him in the wheelchair and brings him in. And the, the, the boy is almost to the end and they finally get him up on a table and they're treating him and they're, they're trying to help him. They're trying to save his life. But about an hour later, he, he dies. They interviewed the police officer that was trying to help. Later, the Chicago Tribune quoted this police officer as saying, they just ignored me. He said, in my 34 years as a police officer, I've never seen anything like this. And then the director of the Illinois Department of Public Health at the time was quoted as saying, it's important for people in healthcare to be first and foremost caregivers and not lawyers. He said, I know there's no legal obligation for them to provide care outside of their doors, but morally we would expect them to do the right thing. And it it boils in us, right? When I read that story, it's boiling. How can anyone who has what it takes to save a person disqualify them from getting the very thing that they need that could save their life. How can that, how can you, how can you even imagine? We're outraged at the thought and yet we do the very same thing because we have what it takes. We have what they need. We have the truth of the gospel. We have the good news that they need to hear and so often We say, well, you got to come in here to hear it. We'd love for you to come. We'd love for you to come. But if it's out there, if I have to do it,
there was a man that was on death row in England in the 1800s. His name was Charles Peace. And just before he was executed, an Anglican minister came to him and, and he read what's called the consolation of religion to him. And this is something that they do on back in those days when there was someone on death row, they, they gave him one final chance here. And, and he was reading this and, and he was reading it half-heartedly and he said these words those who die without Christ experience hell but it was kind of more like this those who die without Christ experience hell hell is the pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring that's what he said flatlined And Charles Peace, the one on death row, he, he stopped the minister as he said that. And he said, sir, if I believed what you say about this hell, if I believe what you're saying and what the church of God has been saying to me, if I, if I believed that, then even if... England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast. I would walk over it. And if need be, I would get down on my hands and my knees, even if it were just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. But I listen to you, minister. It sounds to me like you're just checking off a box. You're just reading what they told you to read. I'm not even sure that I believe you because if I believed that, this ripped me up this week. This challenged me deeply. What are we doing with this opportunity? There's people outside dying apart from Jesus. Peter's obedience declared that, you know, my tradition says no, but God says yes, and I've been given this call. We have disqualified those Gentiles from this inheritance, but Christ has died for them too. God was softening his heart, and he, and he softens our hearts, even in the deepest prejudices, even in the strongest segregation. He softens the Christian's heart to break down those barriers and go to those who need to hear about him. Don't disqualify anyone from the opportunity of hearing the good news. I think that's obstacle number one. Obstacle number two, many of us accept the lie that we are disqualified to share the good news. I'm afraid that many of us, especially in the American church, we've accepted the lie from the enemy or from someone else or from ourselves that says that we're not qualified like we've disqualified ourselves from even getting in the game. And when we see these words that, from God, from the Holy Spirit that said, what God has made clean, do not call common. I want you to hear me today that that goes for you too. What God has made clean, don't call common. Don't let yourself fall into this trance and these lies that you're not qualified, that you're not clean that you're not capable because you're not pure some of you in this room need to hear that over your life today 
Maybe you feel common this morning. Maybe you feel unclean, impure, unworthy, unqualified. Don't call common what God has made clean. Has he made you clean? Has he declared you righteous? I'm going to keep reminding you of scriptures like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nothing is stopping us from walking in repentance. And we so often allow the lies of disqualification, shame and guilt to hold us back from repenting, turning back to God for this cleansing. Because if he's declared you righteous, I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, the gospel principle is this, whom once he loves, he never leaves but loves them to the end. Whom once he loves, he never leaves. And he loves them to the end. But Jared, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know. It's easy for you to talk about. You don't know. Listen to these words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. Starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You may be saying, yeah, I know full well. That's my problem right now. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Here's where it gets scary. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Our best hope when we read a list like that is, well, I don't know three or four of those words, so maybe they don't apply to me, you know? Like, that's our best hope. That was supposed to be like a little funny. I don't I know this is the heavy part, but I just, look what he said. And such were, praise God for the past tense right here, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. But such were some of you. You walked in this way. This is good news for the needy. This is good news for the sinner, even the sinner that practices some of the worst kinds of sin. Because they can be washed, they can be clean. They can be sanctified. They can be justified. If you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God, if you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins, then you've been declared righteous in those whom he loves. He never leaves. He loves them to the end. Declared righteous, made clean and qualified to go and talk about it. But we treat God so often as if he wanted us to be good enough in the first place before he would lavish his grace upon us. That's not how he works. He loves us first with an everlasting love. He doesn't withhold his love from us until we're good enough. Christ didn't die for saints. He died for sinners. 
He was the only one who was worthy. He was the only true servant. Jesus was the only one who didn't sin. He died for sinners. He didn't come into the world because of any righteousness in us. He came to die for our sins. He came to become our righteousness. The work of God is not for those who deserve salvation, but those who are altogether undeserving of it. Do you understand that this is good news? But if we're not careful... We begin to believe the lie that we, for some reason, deserve it more than others that are not in here. We believe this lie from the enemy that we are of a different standing than those who aren't a part of this fellowship. And then we don't go and do what we're called to do. But in reality, God's mercy is like a great flood that rises and rises and rises so high that it covers all the guilt and shame of sin, covers all of the sin to never be seen again. And here we are trying to lift up that guilt and lift up that shame to bring it up from the water so that we can see it and we can think about it and we can believe the lie that we're unqualified to step forward and speak on God's behalf. He said, though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make you whiter than snow. But maybe you feel unqualified today. I certainly understand that. I want to share with you a story about a soul winner who had every reason, every excuse in the book to, be un, to, to not be able, not be capable, not be qualified to share her faith. You know, French is spoken in many African countries. Over 20 African countries speak French because of the colonization that happened. And there's a missionary that tells a story of an African elderly lady who came to know the Lord because he shared the gospel with her. And this elderly lady, she was blind and she couldn't read or write. Blind and illiterate. And after she heard the gospel and professed faith in Jesus, the first thing that she said was, how, how, can, I go tell, how can I go share this with somebody else? Who, who's, where can I go to share this with somebody else? And the missionary began to think, wow, this is going to be kind of challenging for her. I need to think about this. We need to be creative about how she can learn the Bible because she can't read it. She can't see it. How she's going to go and interact with people in this third world environment. And the, the elderly lady came back the next day and, and she said, can you give me a Bible that's in French? The missionary gave her the Bible and she said, can you underline John 3.16, that verse that you were telling me about, can you underline it in red and can you mark that page so that I can feel it and I can know where it is? And the missionary did what she said and the missionary was thinking, I don't, what's going to happen? I don't know what she's going to do. So he wanted to follow her and he followed her to the schoolhouse of the boys school. She went to the front she waited for the school to be let out and when the school was let out she 
listen for people to come and, and she would say, excuse me, excuse me, do you know how to read French? And some people would pass her by, but sometimes a boy would stop and say, oh yes, I, I can help you. She, I'm blind and I can't read. Can, do you know how to read French? Can you read this verse that's underlined in red? And when the boys would read the verse about John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, she would say, do you know what this means? Boom, open door. Share the gospel with them. First week. First week on the job. Straight to the mission field. She couldn't see. She couldn't read. Didn't matter. Something different was burning inside of her. And the missionary tells the story that 24 of those boys that she led to the Lord became pastors and preached before multiple crowds where multitudes eventually came to know Jesus because of this elderly, blind, and illiterate servant's faithfulness. Last story for today. D.L. Moody, an amazing evangelist who some say led over a million people to the Lord through his evangelism efforts. Before he became a Christian, he was in and out of Sunday school class, living in Boston. There was a teacher that he didn't really know very well, but he knew who he was. D.L. Moody was working in a shop behind the counter, and he said this one day, that teacher came behind the counter while I was at work and he put his hand upon my shoulder and he talked to me about Christ and my soul. And I had not felt that I even had a soul until then. And this is what he said. He said, this is a very strange, D.L. Moody said to himself, this is a very strange thing. Here's a man who's never seen me till lately and he's weeping over my sins. Here's a man who doesn't even know me, but he's caring enough to look me in the eyes and say that I matter to God. And this is what, this is what he said that struck me, that shook me to the core. D.L. Moody said, I don't remember what my teacher said, but I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder. Later that night, he went to church, heard the gospel, responded in faith to believe it. That teacher's encounter, that teacher's love, that teacher's care, that, that teacher's opening up the door for just a, a conversation is what led him to later that night receive the message of the gospel. Teacher, coach, administrator this is our opportunity this is what can be done this is what we're called to and for all of us are we allowing the enemy or anyone else to convince us that our that we're common and not able to carry the gospel to others maybe you're in this room Maybe you're in the room in Oakwood. Maybe you're online. And as we're talking about this good news, we're talking about sin and our need for a Savior. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I, I know, I, I do need a Savior. 
I know I am a sinner. I, I know I am unclean. And today, maybe today is the day where you want to be made clean. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, no matter where you're coming from today, maybe today's the day. God's pulling on your heart, drawing you to himself to be made clean. Can I invite you in just a moment? In Oakwood, here in Gainesville, to come have a conversation. I'll be down here. Others are here. If God's drawing, you don't leave this room without coming to ask me or someone else what it takes to be saved. I'll show you from Scripture. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to invite us here in Gainesville to stand as we prepare to sing one more song of worship. Oakwood, we love you so much. We hope you have a great day. Pastor Greg, you can take it from here. As we stand and we sing one more song, we consider what it means to follow Jesus. I want to pray for us and I want to invite you to move and respond if God is leading you. Father God in heaven, I pray that you soften hearts right now. You speak clearly, that you move in power, that you don't allow us to be apathetic in these moments. That you help us to surrender and submit to your lordship and your authority, that you help us to fall into your loving embrace. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.